I'm a little bit younger than you, but I, I similar when I was growing up, had to, you know, curate and buy everything, right. music I listened to, the clothes I listened to. And, and there was real, there was real effort and, um, and time and, right. and care put in, into trying to put in, put together who you were. And people now, not that it's, that they don't have to put any effort into, but you know, you have Spotify, you can listen. You, it wouldn't matter that you got all right. your CD stolen. You can listen to that and a million times more than that in a second. And they have access to, you know, there's kind of a sameness happening with how style is globally, all that kind of stuff. How do you feel that circumstance is, is changing either youth culture now or the way creative minds are being curated or created? There's like a few different things to discuss there. One is kind of, I think, clarifying that the things say like, at least this is how it was for me when I was a teenager, the things, the t-shirt that you got at a concert or, you know, the sneakers you skated in or the board you chose or whatever it was, right? These things, they were, they were the things for sure, but they were really more about what was behind the thing. Right, so like the T-shirt, you wanted the T-shirt because you wanted to show the world that you loved the Cure or you know, the Cult or whoever. But like, really, it was about the the emotion tied to the music that these bands were playing. You know, skateboarding, for example, the style of skateboarding. There was a less defined style when I was a kid. It was just kind of there wasn't like billions of dollars being thrown at it to sell things to people the way there is today. So it was a little more independent, I think. Like people definitely thought more for themselves and they, they people had different choices. Like some people like colorful t-shirts and some kids were just like more like punk and black. And But you could all skate together. But the more important thing more than anything was like your your style, how good you were, right? Like there were kids and I've, I've spoken about them in the past, like kids near me that like didn't have anything. I mean, I had nothing, they had less than nothing. Shitty old bearings, crappy old clothes, hand-me-down sneakers, you name it, but they'd show up to a spot and and rip and nobody really fucking cared what they were wearing anymore, you know? He was the best kid at the spot and, like, it didn't really matter what he was wearing. So kind of quite the opposite. That's kind of the first thing I think you have to kind of acknowledge is, like, style seemed to be a byproduct of a culture you were connected to, whether it be skateboarding or music or even even you know, sports or athletics for that matter. You know, there's always kind of like cultural nuances in these things. And now it seems like things that come with recognition, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, let me be known for something, anything, and then I'll get fame and glory and money if I have to like create a style for myself that really isn't based in any reality. Like I don't skate or I don't do this or do that. That seems to be acceptable. Right. to some degree. People seem to be okay with that or at least ignorant to the fact that it's kind of whack. I don't know, right. but... It's um, more about branding. On a yeah, personal it's like personal it branding and it's like, you know, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't fucking like that. You know, I think it's kind of the end of uh, society. I have been a big reader of dystopian novels growing up. 1984, An Animal Farm, and even books that are less known, like this book, Ecotopia, or Player Piano, and like all these books. We're we're living in what they wrote about. It's fucking crazy. Like science fiction always becomes reality. It's nuts to me. You know, I think Fahrenheit 451 was just made by HBO, remade by HBO. I watched it. It was okay, but like that—that that book is really interesting to me. And it just seems like yeah, like they're they're 
they nailed it. Like, kind of mindless society where, you know, um, even the comic films that were made, you know, like, um, I'm not going to remember it now, where the president was like a professional wrestler and everybody just drank soda. It was like a spoof about the future of, of America. It was made like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and now we're fucking living in it. Like we have a reality TV star as a president and, and not to pull any punches, they're just fucking dumb. Like people have just become really dumbed down. And to some degree, I think that's by design. Yeah. You know, control your masses with entertainment and, you know, just keep them happy and they're not really paying attention to what the fuck is really happening, yeah. you know? Do you, can you feel it in either trying to build this brand or in your interactions with consumers now? I mean, I, sometimes I wonder, have things changed or is it just we're more aware of it because people have bigger voices to broadcast either their ignorance or insecurities over social media and also can be really brutal trolls on the internet where they right. couldn't do that kind of thing before, but maybe it was always in people. I think it's a bit of both. I think media and and individuals' abilities to kind of like, when you say voice their opinion or be heard or whatever, um, plays a role. And I, I think to some degree we've moved further and further away from any kind of like core level of kind of like intelligence and interaction with each other. If you want to talk specifically about products as, you know, like we make a product, you could argue that all society is designed to basically be consumers, which is just to keep the money machine moving. We consume, we consume food from restaurants and entertainment from television and clothing and everything, right? But even the way we interact with our consumption and our products has changed to a degree where like they've they've managed to make it faster. Faster means things are less interesting quicker and you have to buy a new thing, whether it be a song or a shirt, you know, or a trend in diet or food. Or, you right. know, it's like molecular is great and now it's farm to table. And, right. You know, and it's like, it's just moving so rapidly that you can never just stop. I mean, you can, but people don't just stop and like choose the things that are important to them and live that they're constantly being pushed to experience this new thing, you know, whatever it is, um, which in turn gets people to spend more money on that new thing, whatever it is, you know. I was curious about that with with, with Noah, like how much of um, the ethos of the brand, and, and I know that, you know, it's gone through a couple of different iterations, but particularly when you brought it back in 2015 was, was a conscious reaction to that versus just sort of this is my DNA as a creative person and, and as someone who's lived in the industry and this is just what I want to create at the moment. I mean, it was, no, it was about 15 years of thought. Yeah. Like, it's been 15 years or so of me thinking about if I ever did know again, what would it be? What would it look like? How would I use it? It's very much built into the DNA of the business. This company has to do good um, beyond just, the, you know, the choice to make a better product with better factories where people get paid a living wage and have healthcare and vacations and that kind of thing. Like that's a must There's, we can't do it any other way. We will not do it any other way. But beyond that, you know, like we make a t-shirt and we donate money to hurricane relief or we make a sweatshirt at Christmas time. We send money off to Syria yeah. to help kids. Like, you know, that's, that's absolutely all built into the DNA. And it was very much a conscious decision. Um, it's just based on the idea that 
everyone is in business in some form. Either you work for yourself or you work for a company, right? Very few people don't work at all, right? So everyone's involved in the economy and in business. So you think about how business works. Business is really, and, and this is where I think business pretty much creates our policies, right? Through lobbying groups. Sure. So like people are really upset about guns and the gun laws and everything else. Until people stop buying guns, the gun industry is going to have enough money to have a very powerful lobby to fund campaigns to then basically pen their own laws. What people have forgotten is that consumers have all the control because you can bleed an idea dry by not giving it money. Right. So if you don't like what a company or a corporation or an industry is doing, don't buy the products they won't have the money to do what they want to do. And what I find really, really, really interesting is that when you start talking about youth and you start talking about the term in this country would be minorities, right? People that aren't white. Things we see the most is that young people and particularly young people of color, um, whether that be kind of like dark, light, whatever you want to call it, they're mistreated or they're not treated equally in this country. But the irony of that is so many of the young people in this country are still willing to contribute to the system that works against them through buying products that really, one, are bad for them in the first place. Just fundamentally bad. Tons of money on sneakers and wasting your time to, to fucking buy a sneaker and waiting online and all that is fundamentally just not a good idea. Like you're, you have a short life, live it, you have fun. Waiting online to buy something is kind of nuts. And then on top of that, if it's not a product like a sneaker or a hat or whatever the fuck we do, it's like soda, you know, yeah. or McDonald's or like it's all this garbage. It's tricky because I can sit here and be like, you know, these kids are buying all this crap, you know, whether it be Coca-Cola or fucking cigarettes or whatever. They think they're being super punk and rebellious because they're like kind of going against what they're supposed to do and what they're told to do. But in fact, they're just food for the rich because their money is just going up to the people that fucking hate them. Right. And they're creating laws to work yeah. against them and who are poisoning them. You know what I mean? So it's this really funny thing. It's like this complete level of ignorance. Hey, you buy a pack of cigarettes as a young kid, you're like, I'm fucking cool. And you know what? From a from a marketing standpoint, you, you don't get any cooler. Like old movies, cool, you know, are are legends, you know, fucking James Dean, you go on yeah. and on and on. Smoking looks fucking cool. And they've They've tied it to, like, the rebel behavior. But in fact, it's the least rebellious thing you can do because, like, who's more corporate than the fucking tobacco industry? Right. You know what I mean? It gets even trickier when you get into adult life because I drive a car. I support the oil industry yeah. every day. And the alternative would be, well, my wife's not going to have the car to go to the grocery store or to drive into the city or take our daughter where she needs to go, whatever. So it's like, you know, it gets really, really, really complex because we've all become so addicted to these things. So what we're doing is we're just basically starting at the smallest level possible and what I can actually touch, right? I can only touch what I can touch. I'm not, I've been in this business my whole life. Now I'm like, okay, I can't switch careers, but maybe what I can do is make a better product, make sure the people making it are treated fairly, make sure that people are educated to the point where like they don't just rifle through products all the time and they're actually buying stuff they really care about and they, they keep them and use them and it's not just like consume, consume, consume. Let people know that, at least from our point of view, 
we'd rather people kind of like do stuff than kind of like wear the stuff that implies they do stuff. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. So, <laughs> so that's a big part of the conversation for us. Yeah. You know, and it's been planned. It was always the idea when I was coming back. Is there cognitive dissonance at all in wanting to set up a brand that does things ethically and, and as you were saying, does good things, but still operating within the context of sort of being fashion apparel brand where it's clothing's necessary, but it's right. not necessarily uh, a needed thing for people to even go out and spend their, their income on. Right. There's a few ways to think about it. One, it's what I know, right? So like everything that happens through this company is genuine. The music we talk about, the points of reference, it's, it's all really just natural. So it would be unnatural for me to say like, well, I'm going to start a company and try and just use 100% organic cotton all the time. And like all my graphics are going to be about trees and fish. And, you know, that would be unnatural because it's a part of my life. Right. And the other part of my life is the fact that I've spent a big chunk of my life in New York City being downtown and involved with people who have been in the fashion industry or music or art or whatever. And like this is a style component that is you can't ignore or deny but we do it in such a weird gumbo that part skateboarding, part running, part politics, part environmentalism, music influence, all at the same time. That was also something that when I was working on this, I was like, well, I'm just going to address all the things that are interesting to me because I'm certain there's other people who agree with at least one of those five elements, if not more. So it just felt like the most natural way to do it was to just do what I know. If you think about also the audience that really needs this information more than anyone is our community of people who like arguably we're a pretty vapid group. You know what I mean? It's like cool, 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 cool. So rock climbers and, and fishermen and snowboarders don't really need me to tell them what's up. They're already there. Right. You know what I mean? They already know this stuff in time outdoors. They know that there's a problem. Really staying in the game staying in this slice of what of, of the business is probably the most effective thing we could do because we can reach people that maybe have never considered some of these things. And we talk about some things that maybe just isn't isn't on their radar. You know, or even expose them to things, you know, like fucking we work with Sperry. Sperry cool, uncool. I don't really know, you know, I don't I don't think anybody's really checking for Sperry, but like they're important to me. I love what they do. I think historically they're important and um, they make a great product. So I think we've probably put some people in touch with Sperry that wouldn't have been, you know? So even that's interesting to me because Sperry's an American company. It's got great heritage. So why not support that over something else? How do you feel the reception of <clears throat> that sort of work you've been doing, whether it's promoting brand like Sperry or if it's talking about some of the factories that you guys use or if it's some of the causes that you donate to. How do you feel that's been received by your general consumer? Um, and then, Or does that even matter to you? Is it just sort of, this is what we're going to do and take it or leave it? And we It matters because I feel like, it, it's funny when you, when you have a business like this because like, you, you can just say, look, we just make a product and if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. But like, the way our society's gone is like, brands have almost become like, brands are like celebrities. Like the brands themselves. If the brand has to behave a certain way to satisfy its audience, you have to like be aware. That's really weird. We don't really do it. We have always said we do what we do. This is what we believe in. You know, um, 
so far, I can say that the the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Like people are seem to be very excited about what we're doing and what we're saying and very supportive of it. But you're asking if I care. I care to the extent that I hope we reach enough people that we can stay in business and keep doing what we do. But this is as much a, a weapon of war as it is a business, in my opinion. Like, I'm, we're waging a war, you know, informationally, culturally, societally, whatever you want to call it. My belief is that businesses are vehicles for, for warfare at this point because money is the, is the thing, right? Wherever the money goes, that's, that's who's winning. So if more and more businesses act responsibly, like, that's one side of the war. I, I do care to the point where, like, we want to be in business. And, and we also, look, I'm a, I grew up as a kid who's into this stuff, so I want other people to like what we're doing, too, culturally. But I'm not going to change what we do to satisfy segments of the population. Yeah. I mean, we've gone so far as to say, like, look, if, if you don't like what we're saying about Donald Trump, for example, then just send us your shit back. We'll give you your money. We don't. That's how serious this is to me. You know, like, this is like, for me, this is a question of, you know, life or death choices for not just our society in America, but like globally. If we don't start changing our behavior as a population, we're, we're done. And I have a daughter and, you know, like I want to see her have a, a nice life and I want her to be able to experience certain things that I was able to experience when I was growing up that are going away. You know, yeah. certain types of wildlife and things like that. And it's fucking ridiculous. We care, but not to the point where we're going to change our behavior. How much of that um, negative feedback or static are you getting from people? Not much. I mean, we get it occasionally. It's interesting because even when you get it, it often is misinformed, which makes it even sillier. It's like, you know, people are coming back and like saying things and you're like, well, that's not entirely accurate. You know what I mean? You realize like, oh, that's how misinformation spreads. Because somebody can just join a conversation and say something, and it doesn't have to be true. 20,000 people can like, see it yeah. and read it and be like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not, because it's not fucking true. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, right. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, I actually appreciate it when people critique what we're doing or critique an idea. I don't like it when it's done maliciously. We often will say that this is a work in progress, and you know, I'm not an environmentalist by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I'm, I'm learning as I go. And, you know, and from the social standpoint, like, I'm ill-informed as well. I'm, everything we're doing, we're learning while we're doing it. You know, there's no claims of expertise here. It's more like we have this vehicle, we're going to try and do the right thing. And each step of the way, we're going to try and be a little better at it to the point where hopefully we do become some kind of experts in the future. But right now, we're not. We're just doing our best. So when people come at us with critiques that are done you know, in a positive way, we're psyched. Like, we, we want to learn. So if somebody has information that we don't have and they can share it with us and if we can use it in the future, then that's outstanding. What you notice is in this particular community, oftentimes it's, you know, call it a fashion community for lack of a better word. There's a maliciousness. It's just like, it's yeah. a tough game. I was just reading an interview with Andre Leon Talley the other day and he was talking about how it's rough. And he's not really in it anymore. And he was like, yeah, people just dropped me when I left the game. You, you remember, like, what you're dealing with, you know? Right. Thankfully, we're not both feet in fashion, you know? We're right. kind of spread out over a bunch of different things, and we reach a lot of different people. We don't see that much negativity. And when we do see something that's, like, 
in contrast to what we're saying. Half the time it's in a positive way, so it's helpful. And then the other half of the time it's kind of just like, well, you're just angry or bitter or you don't like what we're saying about this subject or whatever, you know. For me, it's all good. I mean, honestly, the dialogue is important. Even if there's misinformation being thrown around in the midst of our, like, Instagram conversations and shit like that, it's, it's fine. Because you also realize that there's a lot of other people out there who are informed and who, like, like slide in and, like, correct somebody and be like, oh, no, dude, that's, that's wrong, you know? So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really interesting because this is what we wanted. To just be a clothing brand, to just make stuff and to just make money for a small group of people was not going to be enough for me. It just wasn't going to be enough for me. I wasn't going to be proud of that. I wasn't going to be able to look at my daughter and be like, this is what we did. She has a decent life, and but when she's 15 and 16, she's not going to be able to look at me and be like, dad, you're just a fucking sellout. You know what I mean? She's not, she's not going to be able to say that. Yeah, like if they're rich, not rich, whatever it is, you know, like, you know, she has a great life and better than most, which is to today, she has a better life than most people. You know what I mean? If that continues, at least I can say we got it in the right way. That's important. I think there's this kind of weird idea that like I, I have something against money or people with money and this, that, and that's not entirely accurate. It's really money in and of itself isn't a problem for me. And rich people in and of themselves are not a problem for me. The real question is how did you get your money? What did you do to get it? Was it moral or were you a fucker? You know what I mean? Like, have you hurt people along the way? Like, are you stepping on people's necks on the other side of the world to squeeze profits? Because if that's the case, yeah, then fuck you. But if you behaved responsibly and the world rewarded you for your behavior and you became a successful person financially, amazing. And that's kind of where we're at. It's like trying to show people like you can do the right thing and still have success. Whether it's the store here, the store in Tokyo, and maybe sort of drawing some lines of lineage back to even the surf shop you worked in when you were a kid or the scene that you grew up in. How do you think you've done in, in, in trying to foster a community in that way? I can say in New York, we've been really successful because the shop is kind of like a center. Like people come friends come in, people hang out. I know when people travel to New York from other parts of the world, if they've known about us, make a point to come talk to the staff and hang out. One of the girls who works in the store, Vrind, she does yoga in the store Wednesday mornings. That's cool. She teaches yoga there. Like, so we're, we're doing it. You know, it's definitely happening. It's a little bit harder than, say, like, surf shop culture when I grew up because real activity binds people together culturally. If there's something you love to do, then other people that do it are like your brothers and sisters, you know what I mean? And if there's a place that you can all kind of meet and engage and like immerse yourself, that's great. We are kind of like, we have hands in like running and we talk a little about skating and surfing and this and that. So we, we touch on those things, but we're not fully an yeah. active based company. It's a little bit tougher because like you don't have that camaraderie where people can come and watch a surf video and that kind of thing. It's happening. It's It's been working. Do you envision, I've been to the store in Tokyo, which is, beautiful and was unexpectedly the size that it is relative yeah, to the store yeah. here. Do you envision that operating in a different way in terms of community building than the New York store? I don't. I, I think it should operate in the same way. That's a bit of a struggle in Japan. It's not something they're used to. Yeah. You know, they're used to like, you come in, basically wait on you, you buy your thing and you leave. It's all very it. structured and rigid yeah. and like, we're basically asking them to go against their own cultural training which is very difficult. 
it's working to some degree there. There's some element of success there, but I don't think it's, I don't know if it'll ever be the same as in New York. So it's tougher to do there. You have a working kitchen in that. We have a working kitchen. Um, we, the last time I was there, like we did like a staff dinner in the store just so we could all hang out and catch up and see what was going on, which was really cool. That's cool. Yeah, so you can like bring stuff in, heat it up. It was fun. It was what we envisioned when we were working on it when when my my wife was doing the interiors. She, she took a lot of what I'd said over the years and kind of like put it into that space. The idea of being able to like host things in the space makes it an active working space and not just a box with fucking stuff in it. Right. So that's important to us. You know, I mean, the shop I worked at when I was a kid, man, like I worked there eight years, 13 to 21. It's like super formative. We did everything there. Birthday parties. It was like life happened in that shop. It wasn't separate from your life. Friday night at six o'clock, guys from the surf team or just friends or whatever would all show up. People would just roll in with, beer or whatever, you know, yeah, and you'd yeah. end up having like an impromptu happy hour in the shop. That happened like almost every week. She she heard a lot of these stories and she really understood it. And so she wanted to help build that in and give it the opportunity for that to occur, basically. With some of the, I guess, positive constructive feedback that you've gotten, thinking specifically about some of the conversation around the use of polyethylene bags to ship stuff, even just the packaging that you guys use to send to consumers and and obviously around around pricing and how that's impacted by the factories that you guys use, which use more expensive factories, it's going to be a more expensive product. Right. How do you balance those types of, I don't want to call them controversies, but pieces of feedback from consumers, your perception of what consumers want from brand now versus what you guys want to do? Because there's obviously situations like the packaging where it really impacts whether it's one of your wholesale customers or one of your retail customers, their experience with, with right. the brand. Right. Some of that is dictated to us by circumstance, right? Like, so we've talked a lot about our T-shirts and we make our T-shirts in Honduras. It's like one of the only products that's not made in the U.S., Canada, Japan, or Europe. However, the factory is a great factory. The people are treated well. It's a good factory. and It's a good product. We have to make them. Like, to do what we do the way we do it, we don't have another option right now. You know. You're talking about in terms of size of the order. Right. If we switch to the U.S., right, all of a sudden I have to order way more of a color than right. I could ever use. So if I want to offer my customer, like, a range of, like, 15, 16 different colors in a single season of different T-shirt colors, I, I, would, I would be able to. We'd be back to, like, black and white, navy and gray. Plus, I might not even like the T-shirt that's being made here, so I'd have to make my own, which drives the numbers up. That, in and of itself, is a problem. And often what you find is... What happened in America many, many years ago was globalization when, when it started occurring and it was possible to produce things elsewhere. The loyalty to a country went out the window, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if people fully appreciate the idea of what this globalization thing is. So it's a weird place to exist as somebody who produces something because, like, on the one hand, I would rather make all of my stuff here. I really would if I could. But the manufacturers a long time ago one of two things happened. They either move their manufacturing offshore to get it way cheaper, or they change the way they do business. It's only profitable for them to produce loads of stuff. Like they have to produce a lot. Otherwise, it's, they go out of business. And we kind of allowed that to happen as consumers because once the prices went down, we were like, this is great. Yeah. And like we never wanted to pay the real price for something anymore. We always wanted the fake price, the lie price the price that's based on somebody not being paid well, not eating well, not going to school, 
not having a nice home to live in. That's a lie. That's a fake price. That's not real. So we got comfortable with that. And then the American producers couldn't compete. Now you're left with whatever is being produced here is either really expensive or you have to produce large quantities. And that takes somebody like us out of the conversation. Alternatively, we can do something with more specialized people who are now just opening up. Like people are starting to try and like bring manufacturing back, but then we have to charge more. So right. now we go from this product to this product and a $48 t-shirt is now a $68 t-shirt. And the first thing you hear from your customers is like, these fucking guys, you know, they, they already accuse us of having an $88 t-shirt, which isn't even true. We have a $48 t-shirt. We have some $88 knit tops, like striped tops and things like that that are more expensive to make. But our graphic t-shirts are 48 bucks. So there's already misinformation out there. But if we start charging more for a regular t-shirt, people start accusing you of all kinds of things. Like they think you're just like getting a bigger profit. You think you're luxury or this or that. And like it's hard to win, you know what I mean? So you, you do the best you can. And for us still to date, we would rather put out a good product and have a few people be like, oh, I wish it was made in the USA, you know? Like, and when we can make it in the USA, we will. And when we get there. We're just too small still. The manufacturing component is really complex. You know, we touched a little bit on on politics earlier. The There's been all sorts of shift in what conservatives support, whether it's breaking up unions or whether they want manufacturing right. to go back to the US. But how do, you, how do you think about that effort? I'm disgusted by how the American dream is manipulated by politicians yeah. used as a marketing tool to sell their politics. It's fucking despicable. Donald Trump has made... Garbage his whole life. None of it's been made in America. It's all trash. It's all fucking useless. And he's the fucking president. It's insane. It doesn't even make sense. Like, there's a collective insanity out there right now. Everybody likes to tie their fucking cart to something, right? Most of the white folks in America, they're just embarrassed to say they're fucking racist. So they tie their cart to some other bullshit, he says. Right. about bringing jobs back or whatever. But they're fucking racist, and he's a racist, and, you know, they're afraid to lose their status. That's kind of the bottom line. <laughs> like, people can call it whatever they want. I mean, I think there's probably a very, very small segment of, of people who support him who are basically making their decisions fundamentally on just money. They'll be richer with him in office. But those people are not the typical American. They're, like, a very small group of people. The larger companies, the corporations, have no loyalty to countries. That's why they're multinational, yep. right? Like, yep. they don't really care about the country they're from. What's crazy about this is, like, I'm the most liberal person you're going to meet, but when I start talking about this, I almost sound nationalist because it's like... Yeah, well, it's a, hard, it's a hard conversation, right? right? Because, here I yeah. am saying, like, fuck it, manufacturing should be in the U.S. Yeah. first and foremost. You know what I mean? I do believe that. And I don't believe it because I don't care about other countries, but, like, we're just going to other countries and taking advantage of people anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, we're not really doing them any favors. We're kind of screwing them. I'd rather see the American population kind of get wiser and realize that, yeah, you wanted to, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s when manufacturing was going offshore and you started getting like your toasters cheaper and this cheaper and everything else, that's all well and good. Like you got your thing cheaper, but you put your neighbor out of business. Right. Like the guy down the street doesn't have a job anymore because he's not working in the factory that made that thing or he's not producing sugar, you know, in the factory in Brooklyn or that's what happened. You call you you're referring to the prices and the wages to the the you know the exploitative labor right to the price being you know that relationship being a lie. Do you think it do you think it's possible that it's a temporary 
market inefficiency that we're taking advantage of that event. Because even in China, right, like, and you probably know this better than me, the wages for for factory labor have been going up. And right. so people slowly shift to other right. countries where they can exploit again. And right. then those wages go up. And it's kind of just chasing it around the world. At right. one point, it was the US, and it was Japan, and then it was China. And do you think there's a chance that 50 years from now, if wages around the world, if there's been industrial revolutions around the world and middle-class development, that manufacturing maybe does just come back here because of that just reality? That's kind of my hope. The hope is that we collectively wise up and realize that it's more important for people to be able to eat and live in a comfortable home and get an education than it is for a chunk of the population to get cheaper goods. The problem with that is the wealth is all concentrated in one, with one small group of people globally, right? So like, basically what you're saying is those people have to have less in order for everybody else to have more. Now, fundamentally, that really isn't an issue because 20 billion, 15 billion, what the fuck's the difference? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what is the difference? But we would have to retrain our entire society. Like, we'd have to shift our value structure completely for that to happen. Now, the people at the bottom, you know, I, I count us, you know, like we... We're probably better off than most people. We're still nowhere near like these other people. We still have struggles and compared to like the richest people in the world. We all know it's a problem. And the people below us certainly know it's a fucking problem. But the ultra rich are not trying to really like share. So that would have to happen first. You'd have to have people at the top changing their value structure and the way they operate and willing to accept less profits. And one of the most interesting things that happened in business, I think, which... It's kind of like mad genius kind of shit. When you started having public companies, you started having like a guy that's like two or three financial levels below you. His financial success is now tied to your financial success. If you're successful as a CEO of some big corporation and this guy makes an extra $100,000 a year or a million for that matter, he's going to accept your bad behavior. So all these people that invest in the stock market. They're just looking for money. The, the loyalties to the shareholders kind of conversation, like, that's that's real. These guys are doing what they have to do for the company to make money, so the shareholders make money. If they don't, they're going to lose their job. So it's they're all tied together now. They've tied the public to them, and the public allows the bad behavior because if you're a guy who's like, you know, an electrician, and you start investing in the stock market, and you end up making a couple of, you know, 100000 extra a year, 200000 extra a year, now all of a sudden your kids are going to a better school, and you're driving a little bit better car, your wife's happier, you don't give a fuck. You're like, this, this is it for me. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, most people aren't thinking about, like, what's happening on the other side of the world, and, and you know, some 14-year-old kid working 18-hour days producing your television. The slaves that are mining the gold that you're wearing or the minerals that go into cell phones and computers in Africa. You know what I mean? Like, you're just not thinking about that. Which is why you're saying that consumers really vote with their dollars, right? Right. Because then if if it's not true... But you have to be aware first. Right. And that's a whole other war. You know, like, this is a huge, long thing. And to answer your question, like, do I think it will circle back to the point where, like, fair wages just become the norm because they've chased, you know... uh, cheap labor around the world. 
that would be ideal. Something will happen to keep well, the economy, bearing around. Right, economies around. don't yeah. stay stable, right? Yeah, so yeah. like one builds up and then yeah, collapses yeah. and then yeah. somebody else is going to take advantage of those people. You know, there's always people looking for an angle, right? And there's always like bad people looking to get over and, and make more money. You know, that's where it gets really, really interesting because now you start talking about just like the fundamental nature of humankind. I'm starting to come to the conclusion that I think that there's probably just a certain segment of the population that is uh, fundamentally just bad. And a segment of the population is fundamentally just good. And as long as human beings occupy the planet, they'll be at war. Yep. It'll be a constant struggle. There probably will never be like a full-term victory of any kind. We're in power, you're in power. We're in power, you're in power. You know, back and forth, back and forth forever, just like with religious wars, right? It's like, it's been ongoing. Since we've had religion, you've had, you've had people killing each other over religion and, and claiming you know, geography and power and wealth, back and forth, right. different hands, you know, it just so happens now we're in an era where, you know, Christianity and, and similar religions have the power, but it wasn't always that way. And it's starting to feel like that's just the ongoing thing. So what you do is you make two choices. You either say, well, if that's just the way of the world, why should I even fucking care? I'm just going to get mine and do my thing and whatever, because eventually it'll flip and go back. Or you can take the position that, like, when you are here, you should fight for your side and create as much good as you can. Even if it means 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, it flips the other way. You know, I think you always have to be fighting on the side of good to create more good than bad. Because at the end of the day, the people that are suffering, they're not statistics, right? They're real. They're real people. They live, breathe hurt, bleed, whatever, like it's happening. So the idea of like not caring because of a concept, an intellectual concept that, well, you know, if this is just how human beings are, right. is it's defeatist. It's yeah. not acceptable to me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but somebody's still feeling pain and still suffering, you know? So what can we do about that? That one person or 10 people or 100 people, whatever it is. Do you feel um, sometimes... You guys are a very small company and talked about this is sort of a, a device of war for you, right. how much impact you can actually make. And, and you've talked about how, I think in the past, that you know the scope of the company might not ever be anything more right. than just being a pretty small company, and that's okay. Right. Well, if we're small, that's fine, if our voice is heard. I saw a photo recently, I think it was on Instagram or something, and I think it was like some LVMH like internal conference. They had a blog post on a huge fucking screen in a room with 100 people. They were looking at it, talking about it. I don't know what they were saying, but there was there, you know? And I was like, okay, so, you know, we're reaching people for sure. And if the fact that, it's it's an interesting thing. I'm, I'm a kid. I'm not, but I am. I'm 46, but I feel like a teenager still in terms of my passion for these things. And I think that tends to be the difference for us. I haven't quite given in to the kind of like adult defeatist attitude and behavior yet. Like, I still have an idealism that tends to exist with young people. And I think as long as we maintain that and I don't kind of, like, give up, we'll have the, the ear and the support of youth. And that's everything. Because they, they are the consumer dollars that everyone's fighting for. They're the opinion that everybody cares about. And they are the next generation of bigger consumers as they become earners in careers and things like that. So... I think that is what makes us really matter to the rest of the industry. If to whoever's paying attention thus far, because they're like, oh shit, like 
they're like talking to the kids and like the kids are listening and they're saying shit that we don't want people to know that we do. You know what I mean? So I think whatever little relevance we have right now is is due to that fact. Like the fact that like we're genuine and honest and like I think the youth recognize that. And that could scare the bigger corporations into behaving better. Are there, are there things that at the size that you guys are now you wish you could do, but you're just limited by size? Like, yeah, I'd love to write bigger checks when we put out a T-shirt on behalf of something. Or, you know what I mean? I, I would love the, the money side of it to be bigger because, you know, money makes a difference in people's lives, yeah. you know? Like, I would like our visual reach to be broader. Like, we have a limited number of Instagram followers and blog post readers and all that kind of stuff. But that grows on a daily basis, so you just... You, you just let it roll. You know, we're not going to force it. Yeah, you you just want to have more influence. You want your ideas to be heard by more people. And you want more people to be impacted, you know. I know for, for a fact that we have young customers, teenagers, that have either written to me, letter form or emails or whatever, basically saying, like, this, I love what you guys are doing and, you know, you've influenced me to want to operate this way one day when I'm older my own company and work the way you do and that kind of thing and that's a huge difference than some kid being like yeah I want to make fucking 100 million dollars as a rapper and fuck as many girls as I can and <laughs> drive a fucking ridiculous car and you know drink lean you know <laughs> so you know because that's the, that's the other side right that exists too where it's whatever is being glorified in your community and accepted as good is going to influence young people I've been yeah, I've been waging this information war basically just saying like, yeah, but all that shit that you're buying is really just feeding corporate America at the end of the day. You know, sugar soda. <laughs> you know, I mean, lean lean is soda and, and pharmaceuticals. pharmaceuticals you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah. you can't get any more corporate than that. Do you feel that shift happening at all? Because you were talking earlier. I mean, obviously that's what fast fashion is you're saying right now I mean a big part of the, I think the impact of social media and just having access to everything all the time is wanting more and more stuff right. just, yeah, yeah yeah I mean there definitely is a shift but it's it's not necessarily in fashion so much it's just getting rolling I think one of the most important things we do more than anything really is we talk about consumer behavior yeah we're gonna make a product like human beings are not gonna stop consuming right we're always gonna need stuff, want stuff, whatever. It's the type of consumption. It's how do you consume? Are you an intelligent consumer or are you just a fucking mindless sheep buying shit? You know what I mean? And like, that's where we come in. Because we're like, yeah, don't, look, don't buy our shit because somebody told you it was cool. Like, come in, check it out, talk to the staff, see what we're doing. And if something resonates, cool. But like, it's not for the now. Like, if you're not going to look at that graphic or jacket or whatever a year from now or two years from now or five years from now and still think it's cool, don't fucking buy it. Like, don't buy it for the moment. Don't buy it just be like, yo, that new company, Noah, man, I got a Noah shirt. Like, that's not what we're here for. So the organic cotton thing and recycled materials, which is something we're, you know, we're exploring. We've, we've done a little bit of reused materials in like a T-shirt and, we did a sweater and little by little we're kind of learning more and adding more products to the mix. But really for me, it's it's even less about that. It's it's really more about how you consume. How much shit do you really need and how quickly do you have to run through it to the next thing? Sure. You know what I mean? And that goes back to societal behavior and a value shift. 
because right now showing up in the latest coolest thing makes you cool. But part of the reason we're so immersed um, culturally, like outside of like the clothing itself, and talking about like music and skateboarding and running and body surfing and surfing and whatever, you know, bird watching because Corey's a bird watcher, you know, like all these little things we touch on is because we we are we are still trying to remind people that it's the thing you do first. Fashion's a disaster. Style is a whole other conversation, right? Like personal style doesn't require you necessarily to wear the latest thing. You just have an identity, you have a strength and a will that comes through. You know, it's it's how one guy can wear a white t-shirt and jeans and look like a fucking movie star and the next guy looks like a knucklehead. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, it's something beyond the physical clothing that gives you your sense of style. And that's the stuff we relate to here and that's the stuff we talk about here because it's like, that comes from the things you do. You know, if you're a musician, if you're a writer, if you're a filmmaker, a skateboarder, a runner, whatever, your, your personal style comes out of your, the things you do that give you life. You know what I mean? Like, that really define you. And then your clothes, and you're, like, you kind of organically look dope. Like, if you're, you know, if you're really this individual. That's why fashion's so funny. Buying clothes and wearing clothes is, like, your hobby. And it's, like, that, that's so contrary to what I've grown up with because, like, all style sprung out of everything else, right? Skateboarding's creative and style sprung out of that. Music is creative and style sprung out of that. Writers are creative and style springs out of that. Like, it's the thing behind the style that matters more to us. I just can't, I make stuff and this is how I make my living and this is how my staff makes their living. So we try and walk that line between like, yeah, we want to sell you a product. We're not going to fucking try and trick you into it. We're, you know, we're going to tell you what it is. We're going to tell you how it works. We're going to tell you what we're about, what we're inspired by. And then take it or leave it. We're not really trying to like be the biggest. We're not trying to get the biggest audience through tactics. Everything we've done has been totally grassroots. We're not about buying Instagram followers and all that shit. Like, you know, we don't do any advertising really. Anything we might do is built more on the idea of it being fun than anything else. So if we do a poster campaign in New York, it's more because we want people to see that image than anything else. Right? It's not like this big, like, no, no, no. It's like, oh, that's a cool, you know, skate shot. Let's post that up. It's interesting because we do live in a consumer-based society. And, and when you're critiquing that culture, people are like, yeah, but you produce stuff. It's like, well, yeah, I know. But we're trying to do it in the best way possible. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one, and more from the world of creative culture and beyond, check them out at makin.com. That's M-A-E-K-A-N.com. Or search for us on your favorite podcast app. <laughs>